Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Crackstats podcast. Our guest today is Professor Noel Cano Hearn of the University of California, Los Angeles. The topic today is biomechanics and sport, the Alexander Technique, preventable injury, and increasing performance by becoming more efficient with movement. Please send us your thoughts on Twitter. Don't forget to tag us and use the hashtag CrackStatsPodcast. Before we start, we would like to thank immensely the CrackStats patrons, without whom there would be no website nor this podcast. Now, I'll pass the mic to Stephen and Noel to crack on with this podcast. So, Noel, welcome to the um, CrackStats podcast. Uh, you're an expert in biomechanics. Um, and I actually discovered you on Twitter on a thread about Sadio Mane, um, where you were discussing how uh, his movements and the way he controls his weight um, to perform actions is, is kind of spectacular. Um, and I, I found it really insightful and I've followed you ever since. And I always um, tag you in the topics where it's anything that I think looks different or exceptional to get your input. Um, so thanks for joining me on the show. Um, what are we going to be speaking about today? Thanks very much for having me. Yeah, um, I would like to talk about biomechanics. Uh, I teach the Alexander Technique at the University of California, Los Angeles. <laughs> Sorry, I'm so used to saying UCLA. Um, and then I also work with musicians with the Alexander Technique. Um, uh, yeah, that uh, thread about Sadio Mane, it's, it was about a, a really, really lovely goal that he made. And we just, we, it, it's so exceptional to watch these incredible players. It's so easy for us to just be like, oh, well, it's magic. It's, you know, it's, it's something that I can't understand. Um, and so I just really wanted to take the time to break down exactly what he was moving, why it worked, uh, which parts of his body he was using really, really well so that other people can see what I see when I'm watching football. You know, I'm not a strategy person. I'm a biomechanics person. So I really, really love watching uh, these incredible performances from world-class players. But yes, I would like to talk about biomechanics and the Alexander technique and how those things are, uh, can be applied to football, professional athletics, to both enhance performance and prevent injury in players. Yeah, um, that, that sounds excellent. But the one thing I remember we talked about in that uh, thread as well was, I think we ended up talking about balance and how it sort of underpins everything that you do. Um, and I, I remember mentioning that one of the things I learned when I moved to uh, Latin culture, uh, Latin country, is in their culture, there's lots of things that improve the balance of children. There's lots of dance and there's lots of like rope walking and um, lots of stuff like that where you basically need to, perfect your balance to actually be able to do it and it made me wonder whether maybe that's why so many latin players with low centers of gravity or, or maybe so good at football um that, that sort of come through and do things that were like wow like Lionel Messi you're just like wow how does he even do that yeah absolutely yeah especially cultures like that where dance and movement are so just inherent in daily life it's like you would never go to Brazil and hear somebody say, oh, no, I can't dance the way uh, here in the United States and probably 
um, where you grew up in the UK as well, people would say, oh, I can't sing. It's just not acceptable. So people who grow up in these like dance cultures, movement cultures have a leg up already because they've been practicing that balance and that coordination through their whole lives. Um, and yes, balance is absolutely important. Um, I would go as far as to say counterbalance is is what's really, really important. Because yeah. as soon as I move one part of my body, I need another part of my body to counteract the weight. Even if I just put one arm out in front of me, not even holding anything, my arm doesn't weigh nothing. So I have to use the muscles in my back and along my axial skeleton to help support the weight of my arm being held out in front of me. And it goes back to the difference between slow twitch and fast twitch muscles. Uh, uh, like cats, for instance, when I think of incredible balance, obviously cats will come to mind because they're live and apex predators, and but then they're also dummies and they eat plastic for no reason. <laughs> but as far as balance goes, they have a higher ratio of uh, white tissue, white muscle tissue, so uh, slow twitch muscle to fast twitch muscle, which is what gives them that incredible agility in the air. You know, like we've all seen videos of cats flipping over in the air to land on their feet. And so for us, our slow twitch muscles tend to be quite deep and there's a lot of them along the axial skeleton, meaning the spine. And then the red muscle tissue, the fast twitch muscles, those are meant for short bursts and they tend to be uh, closer to the skin and they tend to be a lot longer. So being able to balance the control between those two different types of muscle is something that has a lot to do with balance that most of us just don't think about very often. Yeah, it's actually really funny you mentioned that. I, I remember when I was a kid, um, I think it was in school we did this, but we did an exercise where you had to walk and you had to basically move your left foot forward at the same time as your left hand and your, then mm -hmm. your right foot forward at the same. And it was so awkward. And, and basically <laughs> we managed to do it like he got us to do it, but we really had to think about it. And then he said, okay, now you have to walk in a, we had like a big circle mark. It was like a center circle, I guess, in terms of football. And he basically said, I want you to walk in this circle twice um, doing this. And by the end of it, we were all, we'd all completely flipped so that our left hand <laughs> and our le right foot was aligned instead because of, mm -hmm. again, that thing you're saying about natural counterbalance. Um, uh, we, we just automatically flipped back to what was better for our bodies even though that we were trying so hard to do what he told us? Well, uh, yeah, I mean, our bodies are so accommodating to what our brains are telling them to do. And that's, that's our superpower, but it can also be our downfall. So it, our bodies will do whatever our brains are telling them to do for better or worse. So yeah, we are really flexible uh, in terms of uh, adapting to new circumstances and, and different situations. But we need to try and harness that power to understand that I am driving this machine around, this complicated machine all the time, including when I'm asleep. Like I am always, I always have the, I need to be a diligent steward of my own machine all the time. And it's too often that we think about performance on the pitch and then is or or in the gym or in training and then as soon as we're done and it's like leisure time even just getting in the car and sitting in a slump on the way home and then getting home and sitting in a slump and playing video games and then eating sitting in a slump and then of course you're going to sleep poorly because what you do in your wakefulness affects how you move your body in your sleep 
aside from actual sleep disorders. Yeah, no, it all makes sense. And I remember when I was um, I was working in England and uh, I, I was suffering from just lots of little niggling problems. Um, and I ended up going to the doctor and, and we also had an in-house um, lady called Judy who, who was like an expert in like posture, yoga. Um, and I never really believed in any of that stuff. It just always seemed like this. Um, <laughs> Just like just crazy stuff that didn't really make any sense to me but I, I went and spoke to her just because it's like I'll try whatever's on offer um and she basically sat with me one morning watching what I was doing and just correcting my posture and showing me that like for example the height of my monitor was pinching the nerve in my neck that's why mm -hmm. my neck was sore and it's also why my shoulders were always tense and then she was showing me how uh, my lumbar wasn't being supported by the way I sit because I basically just slide into the chair um mm -hmm. And she ended up, and oh, the other thing as well was I, I crossed my feet on my ankles because mm -hmm. I'm tall. So I would straighten my legs rather than sit with my knees bent. Um, and basically I was ended up damaging my knees doing that. Um, and, and just all these little things that I was doing that I'd never really thought about were all just damaging my body. Um, and I ended up doing like yoga with her and it, it just completely changed uh, the quality of life I had because all those little niggling things I, I had, she, she managed to get rid of them and, and I wasn't feeling pain I was sleeping better um and yeah it's, it's one of those things that I'd highly recommend to everybody just to try that if, if you're feeling any sort of weird pains uh it, it's probably just stuff you're doing that you don't realize yes exactly and uh we can do an experiment all together in a moment it's we have to take the responsibility of what we're feeling unless you, <laughs> you can think of it as all of those little things as non-contact injuries Right, because yeah. you're you've done it to yourself, and it's they're just so small, and they're so habitual that they feel comfortable until you feel pain later, and then you may feel a pain in your knee or something, and 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 maybe you're complaining to a friend, and they're like, "Well, what did you do?" And then most people will say nothing, because you don't realize <laughs> that when you sit with your legs extended with your ankles crossed, you're actually hyperextending your knees and putting pressure on your knee in the in a backward motion that your knee is not designed to do. Mm -hmm. um, so since so many of us spend so much time sitting at the computer, especially, we need to know how to sit. Where should you put your weight when you're sitting? And I, as funny as this sounds, it starts with the atlanto-occipital joint, which is where your skull meets your spine. In Alexander Technique, we call that structure the primary control, meaning whatever is happening at your atlanto-occipital joint is affecting the rest of your spine. So I always like to start by releasing my neck. And when I say release your neck, try not to wiggle around to find release. Just think of your neck as being tight like a fist. If you undo your fist, you just let go. So if you think of your neck, if you feel tension in your neck, especially along the back of our necks mostly, if you can release that tension, you can allow your head to release up toward the ceiling and you can, you can feel the compulsion of the rest of your spine to follow your head. So if I'm in a slump, I don't want to I don't want to feel like someone just shouted at me to sit up straight and then I shove myself into an upright position. If I'm in a slump, I think of releasing my neck muscles. And if I can do that, it feels like the rest of my back wants to come with me. As soon as I do that, I allow for that lumbar curve to be curvy, like you mentioned. And it feels like, like rocking forward on my pelvis. 
So I want my weight to be on what we call the sits bones, which are the little rocking chairs at the bottom of your pelvis, rather than on my sacrum, which is the shield shaped base of your spine where the tailbone is. Uh, sitting on that part of your body is incredibly detrimental to every to all of your systems, to your circulatory system, respiratory system, even your endocrine system, and especially your nervous system, because your sacrum is where the nerves come out of your spinal column and go down to your legs. And we all would, if we're able-bodied, we would like to keep the use of our legs in perpetuity. Um, for instance, people uh, experience sciatica a lot. And uh, it's usually due to um, pinching a nerve on basically on the left side of your butt is where it comes out of your spine. Um, and sciatica results in numbness or shooting pain. It's very unpleasant yeah. and it's completely avoidable, um, except for if you do have an actual injury. I think being Irish, um, I, th I think Irish people have this weird thing of attributing <laughs> attributing all the things that go wrong to being Irish like I can't dance but I think that's because I'm Irish because like Irish people don't really <laughs> dance they just sort of throw their body in the weird shapes and, that, and, and then they say that that's dancing and like uh like posture like Irish people just have awful posture and Irish people tend to have awful hair they look like they've been like running in a wind tunnel and, and it's like that all day and and so like there's so many things in life where where I always just thought it was just down to being Irish. And then it was, again, it was speaking to Judy where it was basically like, nah, you, you don't need to sit like that. That's you've trained yourself to sit like that. You don't, that's wrong. Exactly. Just, just yes. don't do it. Yeah. 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 So, um, people say natural or instinct all the time when they really mean habitual Yeah. and it, it sounds a little damning because I'm making, I'm forcing you to take ownership of what you're doing with your body, but I mean for it to be empowering because if it's a habit, that means I can change it. If it's an instinct, I mean, it's hopeless. Yeah, right? exactly. Uh, so if I have spent several years sitting in a certain way, um, I, but it's because either I'm imitating someone or, uh, which is often the case. Usually we imitate people we admire and that's to do with sitting, walking, speaking, uh, even hand gestures, all these things. Uh, but if it's a habit, then I can change it if I'd like to. Yeah. And it, it's also interesting you say about imitating. I, I remember reading once about mirroring, um, which is something people do if you go to like a job interview. And you end up subconsciously mirroring the person that's interviewing you. Uh, you mm -hmm. like raise your arm at the same time as them, drink water at the same time, yep. and et cetera, et cetera. So do you end up in the same posture as them? And, and, and yeah. that might not be unnatural to you, and it might be damaging for you because, yeah. It's, a, it's an evolutionary function called neuro, neuromirroring. Uh -huh. <clears throat> and it, it's, uh, it was a way to form community in a non verbal sense it's a, also a way to show people this is like very primal it's mm -hmm. a way to show people that i'm not a threat because ah. i look like you yeah that makes so much sense and the other thing as well you were saying about um the the, the way you sit in your posture it's the other thing again i learned from judy is that um everything that you do that damages you doesn't actually cause pain or at least not immediate pain so it's like if I'm sitting in a bad posture all day at work, it, it actually is comfortable. It's really comfortable. So I don't imagine for a second, well, this is doing me damage. But then when you get like 10 years down the line and your body's like reshaped your spine or yes, you've damaged and herniated a disc or something, then you're just going to live in pain until you can solve it. 
that's yeah no yeah it's horrible and it's so much easier to prevent those things from happening than to try and fix them later so here's a scary speech i love this scary speech by the way <laughs> um i usually bring out fossils and show like my dinosaurs to help illustrate this point uh, bones are tissue we forget that bones are tissue because they're hard we can't really see them we can palpate them we can feel them from the outside but uh, but we don't really have we don't have proprioception of our bones from the inside either. So when you when you feel a pain from a broken bone, it's actually something else that's sending the pain. It's not the actual bone tissue. But anyway, bones are tissue, which means they are regenerating. They regenerate slowly. Um, it's a very complicated system, but they are growing. They're constantly growing, and bones don't move themselves. Muscles move bones. So wherever you let your muscles move your bones. That's where they're, that's the shape they're gonna grow into. So if you spend enough time, and this is over years, sitting a certain way, moving a certain way, sleeping a certain way, whatever the thing is, it's usually sitting, your bones are going to grow into the shape that you're putting them in. So you and I, and I'm sure most people listening are all old enough to have scoliated themselves, which means your bones are shaped differently now than they were when you were younger and differently than they would have been had you been sitting perfectly this whole entire time. <laughs> Unfortunately, that's what we've all done to ourselves. Um, so if I like to think of Alexander Technique as like preventable, you know, like pre preventative care. Yeah. And by the way, the, uh, you mentioned the intervertebral discs. Uh, the, the discs, by the way, this is kind of dorky, but like all members of the phylum chordata, have four things in common, and one of them is having a notochord, which is the like the the primal version, basically, of our spinal cord. And as we grow bones in utero, our vertebral the the bones of our spine begin to chop up that notochord into discrete pieces, which become the intervertebral discs. Um, so they're they're discrete, meaning they're not connected to anything else. They're completely on their own, and they're individual. Mm -hmm. which is why we really, really need to take care of them because nothing else is around to help them. So think of them as basically like a breast implant with like two hard um, protective cartilaginous plates on top and bottom to keep them safe from the bone surrounding them. The only thing they need to regenerate the fluid that's inside of them is space. So if you are sitting upright in your poise, allowing for all four of your curves to happen in your spine. So your cervical curve in your neck, your thoracic curve between your shoulder blades, lumbar curve in the bottom of your, you know, the in your loins basically, and then the sacral curve, which goes into your pelvis. If you have that poise, those discs can regenerate on their own. If you sit in a slump, you're compressing the discs in an asymmetrical pattern and they don't have enough space to regenerate the fluid. And the scariest part is we do not have a way to continuously um, fix that problem. You can have saline injections, but mostly people end up having surgery, having the disc removed, having bones fused, you know, like all kinds of horribly painful, expensive, invasive procedures done. And all of that could be avoided if we just take care of our system now and it's, by the way, it's not too late. However old you are, it's not too late to get better. I'm not saying you're going to feel 18 tomorrow, but um, no one is a lost cause. Seriously, no one.
Yeah, and it comes back to that thing as well that um, I think people need to realize in that um, uh, fixing a problem is always more expensive than mm -hmm. uh, preventing the problem. Um, and right. so it's like, um, whenever I was doing the yoga classes, it was very much that in mind. I didn't have much money at the time. And, and I was thinking like, um, can I afford this? And, and then it was like, more thinking about what can afford to be can I afford to be off work can I afford um to try and get like a surgery to solve this and especially if you live in the mm -hmm. US where you have to pay for all your surgeries and treatment that it's, it's probably a good idea to do as much as you can to avoid ever needing treatment for these things because it gets really expensive oh no it's ridiculously expensive like people commit suicide people inherit debt from medical costs so yeah. it's yeah I mean taking AT lessons is not covered by insurance, but it's well worth the effort because you may, I usually have private students sign up for 10 lessons and say, well, we'll do a trial one to see if you like it. And then let's set up 10 lessons because it's not something you learn in an afternoon. It's mm -hmm. something, it's like learning a foreign language. It's something that you have to practice consistently every single day. And for, for, for people like me, professionals who like really really take it seriously and teach it I think about it all of the time like if I am awake I am thinking about it constantly and I have to have you know like the system running constantly in the back of my mind otherwise I feel like a fraud yeah. or a hypocrite and, <laughs> and habits are I mean habits are hard to break it's like expecting to break yeah. a habit after a half an hour sessions probably not gonna do anything but that's right. to link it back the link it back to football I imagine when you watch um videos of footballers uh on like say for example we're both liverpool fans so let's use liverpool's youtube channel when you're watching the videos of, of liverpool players like doing things to relax on on the youtube channel <laughs> do you ever find yourself getting like oh he's doing that wrong that's gonna i have problems. almost broken my computer or phone multiple times i actually take screenshots on the off chance I will someday meet someone who works for Liverpool Football Club to be like, look at what they're doing wrong. We have to fix this. Um, Cause I love these, I love these people dearly. Like I, like I know them. Um, and so it hurts me, it pains me to see them using their bodies so poorly. Um, even like you'll see, um, what was the, the funny show that um, Robbo and Trent did together? I, oh, it was like a little web series now. it's so funny but, but yeah, so you see them you riding around in the car a lot and they both are sitting so terribly and it's um you you wouldn't notice because they're having so much fun they're they're in such a good mood they're laughing they're enjoying themselves i'm laughing the show's funny yeah um but me i can't i'm like the i have like terminator vision when it comes to biomechanics i can't not see all of these things and i want to just like slap them in the face <laughs> No, <laughs> stop doing that to your spine it, it, it's something i realized that whenever you you learn anything that isn't just acquired knowledge from from normal life you end up seeing it all the time and you can't really switch that off. like i'm the same watching football and it's um i got the point where it's very hard to enjoy watching football because i'd always be looking at it in terms of like space and tactics and, and not really mm -hmm. just enjoying the, the game and and I, I had to sort of just get away from all that and i, I try to avoid doing that now um, because as soon as you start, it just sort of takes your enjoyment away of moments. But um, right. on the whole thing of footballers and posture, I remember um, David James had a gaming addiction, and that was probably the first time I, I really thought of that 
in terms of football, but maybe our, the, fa- the people who are listening will probably be more familiar with Greenwood. And um, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer said recently that um, whenever Greenwood's been up all night playing games, he can <laughs> tell immediately the next day based on how well he's shooting. Um, and so can you explain exactly like what's going wrong there and how that's a fact in it? Sure. So uh, mus- our system is complicated, but muscles are fairly simple. They contract and they release. So we've all had that experience where like maybe you've been holding something either too tightly or something that's really heavy for a while and you get to finally put it down and you feel that like ache in your hand, even though your muscles are releasing that sort of feeling. Mm-hmm. Um, so if I've been sitting poorly playing video games, the way if, if you could x-ray me, you would see that I'm I'm leaning forward. So I'm slumping forward, which means I'm undoing my lumbar curve and I'm uh, curving too much in my cervical curve, which is my neck. Okay. That makes them both very angry. They want to be doing the same thing at the same time. So if I stay here for long enough, it's the muscles are contracting hard and they're doing somebody else's job. So the muscles that need to be doing this work are not being used and I'm misusing the teeny tiny delicate muscles of the back of my neck to, in order to keep my face pointed where I want to, which is in this case, the television. So doing that for long enough is going to come with me into my sleep patterns. I'm Mm -hmm. going to sleep in an awkward position. So those muscles, which should be restoring and relaxing, releasing and healing are still working. And they're working in a manner that is not the way they're supposed to be working. So by the time you wake up and take a shower and brush your teeth and get to work, uh, all of those muscles are tired because they've basically been up all night when they should have been sleeping. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's Like I said, the muscles are simple, but they also are very obedient. If I ask a muscle to do a thing, it does the thing. If, however, I'm asking muscle group A to do the work of muscle group B, then muscle group A cannot complete its work and they atrophy, mm-hmm. right? So uh, it's, it's very apparent the next day. It's almost like, uh, you know, if I drink, I will have a hangover. If I slump for hours, I'm going to have problems moving my body the next day. Yeah, it, it's really interesting as well, because there's lots of players that, um, the, this is all alleged, of course, but you hear stories of like, um, Sammy Dembele at uh, Barcelona and how the, his gaming is also related to why he has so many injuries. It was said of um, Mesut Ozil at Arsenal. Um, and, and, and you hear these things a lot about, um, it, it must be maybe a, a new phenomenon, but basically um, footballers being addicted to gaming or wanting to play a lot of FIFA or whatever and, and, right. and the impact that has on their bodies. I mean, is this, it, it, could that actually result in injuries? Absolutely. Yes. 100% could. The good news is you're, you, there's a excellent way to, you can still play games as long as you use your body correctly while you're playing them. Mm-hmm. Like forget gaming chairs. They're an enormous waste of money. Mm-hmm. Uh, all chairs are wrong. Unless you have had a carpenter and a movement specialist make a chair specifically for you, the length of your femur, the curve of your lumbar spine, all of the things the chair is wrong and the chair does not, never gets to be the boss of me, right? So it's about how you're sitting in your chair. Is my pelvis above my knees? Excellent. Am I curving through my whole axial skeleton? Excellent. Am I able to exhale, allow the air in and take a full breath without moving through my torso? Excellent. 
if I can sit like that, then I'm good. Then when it comes to hands, it's a whole other thing. Um, we do, we tend to overutilize our fingers by something I call gripping as opposed to grasping. If you bring your, if you curl your fingers toward your palm hard, that's gripping and it leaves um, just like you were asking, it leaves a muscle memory in your fingers. So when you walk around, if you're able to see other people walking around, you'll see them have like little claw hands or curved fingers. And that's an excess, uh, uh, excess tension over a prolonged period of time called gripping. So you don't want to grip your controller. You would like to grasp your controller. And to do that, you would have to, if you hold your hand up like a stop sign, and then you take, sorry, there's, I live right by the Santa Monica airport. So it's kind of loud for a second. In LA, we say hold for plane. Uh, same here. I've got uh, construction work going on because we had some idiot with a flatbed reversing the, our wall uh, and basically push our wall. So it was sagging in towards the house. So I've had to nice. get someone to come out and replace it all. So all the podcasts I've been doing this week, I've been trying to find like times <laughs> that are their lunch break or at the end of their day or before the, but it never works. You always, and they're like singing uh, Brazilian songs and, and, and <laughs> yes. uh, oh, it's great. They're like shouting for each other. Uh, so yeah, uh, I'm, I'm actually using a different mic that doesn't pick up background sound, but it's oh, not good. as good. But it, it's a, just avoiding as much background sound as possible. They're so loud. But they're doing no, a great no, job. <laughs> so far, so good. Okay, so back to grasping. If you hold up your hand like a stop sign, and by uh -huh. the way, my elbow is pointing out at about a 45 degree angle. I'm not touching my torso with my humerus. Okay. Um, if I move my, I'm going to make my thumb go to my middle finger by moving my whole arm, and then it ends up looking like a Kermit the Frog hand. Like a crab, almost. A crab? Yeah, like a crab's claw at pencil. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes, sure. <laughs> the point is I'm leaving my fingers up where they are in the stop sign position, and then I'm moving my thumb to meet my fingers rather than the other way around. Um, I do this on my legs, which I realize you cannot see, but if I put my hand flat, <clears throat> flat on my thigh, and then I bring my thumb to my middle finger with my elbow out and then back again, I'm training myself to use my whole arm, which is supported by the way by my back muscles, to support my fingers rather than leaving my fingers alone. So many times people kind of plant the their wrist, the front part of their wrist, especially if, like for typing, that's mm -hmm. hyperextension and you're definitely going to get carpal tunnel syndrome at some point. So please do not do that. Your shoulder should be above your elbow, elbow above wrist, wrist above fingers. So if you do want to play video games for a very long period of time, make sure that you're not Grip, grab, uh, gripping the controller really, really hard that you're able to grasp the controller. This is also a good way to practice um, controlling your system well in high stress situations because video games, you know, bring out the battle mode in us just like sport do, sport does. Yeah. Um, and it's it's easy for us when we're in that adrenaline filled situation to ignore our bodies because we're so focused on whatever the goal is. Yeah, it, it's funny, actually, there's actually a meme on uh, Twitter of um, someone playing FIFA and then they can see the goal and then they lean forward and put their elbows on their thighs. And so it's mm -hmm. like this is when you like take the game seriously, like you're relaxed. <laughs> right. and I'm taking it seriously. And that's the meme on Twitter. But I'm guessing for you, that's basically nightmare posture, head over it's, your knees. It's uh, not great. 
Um, if you have your elbows on your knees, which is totally a fine thing to do, your face should be pointed at the floor. Yeah. Basically, what I'm trying to do is, I, the phrase I always say is, I would like to preserve the structural integrity of my axial skeleton. So if you can imagine what your spine looks like from the side, there's four curves in it, right? I want to keep those four curves intact so that when I, as much as I can, when I move through space, those curves stay intact and that helps provide that space that the discs need to regenerate. Mm -hmm. Obviously, I'm not going to stay like that all the time, but that is the ideal neutral position. So why not take it with me into movement as much as I can? For instance, standing up. The first thing we do in any AT lesson, even a consult, is sitting and standing. The movement of sitting down in a chair and then getting up out of a chair. And people tend to just do whatever their habit is, which is to say they don't even, if I asked you, you wouldn't be able to tell me how you sit in a chair. Yeah. Um, and, and most people just like fall into a chair and then they <laughs> land and now I'm sitting and now I'm done. <laughs> but unfortunately, your work is never done. AT is a blessing and a curse because now you know it, you can't unknow it. And now you have to live with it forever. It's your responsibility now. <laughs> yeah. um, so what we tend to do, what I teach people to do then is instead of curling forward with my spine or pushing on my legs in order to stand up, which makes no sense to me. Why yeah, would I, do I push that. down if I'm trying to go up? Um, you don't need your arms. If you're, if you're healthy and able-bodied, you don't actually need your arms to stand up, even from a stool or small chair. If you let your head lead your spine, let your head lead your spine um, so that you're rocking forward on your pelvis and your face is now looking at the floor and you keep going. Basically, your weight will shift onto your feet and you have a choice. I can either fall on my face or I can let my feet support me and then just stand up. And then it's kind of the same thing in reverse. I know the chair is behind me. I don't need to look at it or feel it. Um, I bend my hips back, knees forward in a way, and then I keep my spine straight which means it kind of looks like a bow mm -hmm. and, and just keep bending my knees until I feel the chair touch my pelvis. And then I just sit upright. It's, it's so, so, so much easier. It's so funny you say this, right? Because I had carpal tunnel a while back um, and it was really hard because I'm a rider. So riding with carpal tunnel, it's not fun. Are um, you? I but, didn't know that. Yeah. But one of the things that, that was um, a joke. <laughs> I don't know that I am either. My English is awful. <laughs> but, but getting up, I always used to use my hands. I, I never, you just don't think about it, but you do, right? And then when I had carpal tunnel, I was like, well, I need to stop doing that. And then the way I found of doing it was basically I would either put my hands under my armpits or cross my <laughs> arms in front of me. Because if I do that, I definitely won't use my hands, right? And then my method for getting up was basically leaning back as far as I could. <laughs> <laughs> rocking forward and standing up and it's that thing of like i just come up with a process that i won't use my hands and it's very okay, similar so to what you just said about rolling forward and standing up it's like yeah, the natural okay. thing <laughs> yes i'm sure that worked for you and if you have abdominals that are strong enough to support that movement i'm sure it worked for you um it's just like 200 times more energy than is absolutely needed for yeah. the simple act of standing up well Irish, um, so instead of i mean every movement that irish people make is basically 200 times more energy than needed <laughs> it, it's again it goes back to the dancing thing we're a mess we're just like a cultural mess for movement <laughs> i literally have long red hair and i'm wearing a clotter ring i may not be from <laughs> ireland but stop talking about my people <laughs> i'm a very good dancer thank you very much <laughs>
um, it comes down to efficiency of movement. And this is a very, very primal thing going back to our cerebellum, going back tens of thousands of years. I, I mean, even millions of years if we're talking about other animals and, and, and evolution and stuff like that. It is our goal without knowing it to be as efficient with our system as possible on the off chance we do not have access to food, water, or shelter. We always, our bodies need to be in optimal condition all of the time if we're, uh, if we're meant to survive the longest. And that's just ingrained in our oldest, the oldest part of our brain, the cerebellum, which people sometimes call the lizard brain. It's like in the very back on the bottom. It's, um, it's just a survival mechanism. So our bodies want us to be as efficient as possible so that our bodies are ready for anything. So uh, muscles use oxygen in order to work, basically. They need oxygen to work. If you are using your muscles in order to get oxygen into your system, those cancel out and you're back to where you started, except you've also just expelled a bunch of energy that you didn't need. So you're using up calories as well. And think of this not in our indulgent way, but it's just a basic survival way. So we need to, which brings us to breath, breath support and breath coordination. Um, so do you wanna do an experiment with me? Yeah, sure. It's, it's really easy. Okay. so. Uh, I'm sure right now you're sitting very, very well, but go in, everyone go into your favorite slump. So usually it looks like your shoulders are kind of collapsed forward. Your back is a little bit curvy um, in like a primary curve, like a C shape. Okay, everyone there? Good. <laughs> now exhale and then try and take a deep breath. Okay, I either have to be happy with that amount of air that I was able to take in, or I have to move my torso through space to accommodate more air, which as I just explained, cancels out the whole point of trying to take in more air. However, if I go back to my instructions, which is the thing I described earlier, I think of releasing my neck muscles, allowing the rest of my spine to follow my head up toward the ceiling. I sit on my sits bones, the bottom part of my pelvis, which is really big and bony and in basically one piece, which means it's there for load bearing. So now I'm upright, I have all the curl curves of my spine. If I exhale and allow for an inhale, I get this big giant bucket full of air. Yeah, it's much easier. Yeah. yeah and when you do that, by the way, as an aside, you're using your diaphragm appropriately. You're letting your diaphragm go on its full excursion. And when your diaphragm goes on its full excursion, it stimulates the vagus nerve, which is V-A-G-U-S, it means wandering. It's a really, really big nerve with tons of responsibilities. But when the vagus nerve is stimulated, studies have shown that multiple lobes of your brain experience more neurological activity, which mm -hmm. means thinking is easier, problem solving is easier. If you're feeling anxiety, it calms you down. If you're feeling a little bit unenergetic, it wakes you up. It's, it's kind of a magic wand, which is why I always say, if you tune into only five seconds of this podcast or only listen to anything I say ever in your life, think of exhale as step one. Exhale comes first, inhale comes second. You can do exhale, but allow the inhale. However you want to remember it, exhale is step one. It's interesting because it, it, it's things that people just naturally get very wrong. Like when, when you're taking a deep breath, you just, 
when someone says take a deep breath, you don't breathe out first. You always breathe in. Um, That's right. So, so you've just failed at the basic first step of getting rid of all that carbon dioxide that's already in your lungs. And you're just uh, only maybe getting like a half breath of what you could. That's do. right. Yeah. Yeah. It's you're basically diluting the oxygen, but it's inherent in our language as well. People say, take a deep breath yeah. um, on film and television. People will say, breathe in, breathe out to calm someone down, you know? Um, and, and if I were to illustrate physically what it looks like to take a deep breath, I would, you know, suck yeah. the air in and stick my chest out, um, which is tons of compression and tons of work for my body. And I'm not getting the air that I need anyway. Um, th if you think of it, like if you're swimming laps, mm -hmm. that moment where you turn your head sideways to get air, the air whooshes in that mechanism, even though we don't need that much air most of the time, especially if we're not moving around, that mechanism is what needs to be in place with breath coordination most of the time. Yes, it's really interesting you mentioned swimming. It, it, I've always believed that there's certain, um, all the mechanisms that you're mentioning, there's certain ones that are crucial for certain sports, but maybe they just focus on those and get the rest wrong. Um, and where swimming, you're saying the breathing is absolutely important. Getting as much air into your lungs is important. And it's when you read about like um, Navy SEALs, for example, that can breathe underwater for like two minutes longer than the normal human, it's probably largely down to the fact that, yeah, we just get rid of all that carbon dioxide first when we're taking deep breaths. Because if you're going to like take a deep breath to go underwater, if you're doing the deep breath wrong, you're, you're not going to be able to stay underwater. As That's long. right. Um, mm -hmm. and, and I noticed also that Jurgen Klopp recently, uh, he hired like a professional surfer to come in mm -hmm. and, and speak to the boys. And, and he said one of the things that they learned was how to stay calm under pressure. But but it's also, I remember they were doing that breathing thing of trying to stay underwater for longer. And it's and maybe it's just that way of getting them to change a mechanism to get more oxygen into their blood. Because um, if you look at sports, for example, whenever you're doing blood doping, it's about getting more oxygen into the blood. Um, and That's so right. if you have a natural way of getting more oxygen into the blood of your players just by changing the way they're breathing and if you get an expert in that's yeah. a professional surfer or a professional swimmer someone that they're going to take this on board from you can end up getting a massive gain for absolutely very very little at all yes it takes it's it's uh, and listen alexander technique instructor would be on that list as well as people who can help with breath coordination um it's cheap it's uh very easy and it does not involve equipment Right. Yeah. It only involves the sophistication of the human body and concentration, obviously. Uh, but yes, oxygenating the muscles will help the muscles perform better, will help the person run faster, longer or whatever. And not only that, but like I said, when you're when you're breathing properly, you stimulate the vagus nerve, which helps with problem solving and thinking quickly and, you know, assessing situations more efficiently. There's no reason uh breath coordination shouldn't be a part of any athlete's training yeah and just thinking about it from other sports i remember like um there's lots of different sports where people need to learn how to fall like i remember i used to watch wwe a lot as a kid and i remember mick foley was a guy who used to like fall off incredible heights and not die and that was always just amazing <laughs> to watch you're just like wow anyone else would be a pancake but he was basically saying you need to open your body up as much as possible to have as much surface area at the ground as possible. Um, and I also remember a, a professional skier saying that whenever he falls, um, your instinct is to go as rigid as possible whenever you're going to fall. Right. But you've actually to go as loose as possible because anything that's rigid is going to break. 
Um, yes. And so it's it's that thing about um again just different sports will have different things that everybody knows and those are the important things for that sport but maybe you can apply them to each other sports and actually get a little advantage um like if you're for example uh, uh jack release you're going to fall a thousand times this season um so so you probably want to learn how to fall better <laughs> Yes, that is true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, falling is important. Being able to fall well is really important for all of us to know, uh, because as we age, it's going to become incredibly important. But of course, it's very important in, in football. You're going to get knocked down at some point, or you're going to make yourself fall down for a reason. Not like diving, but you know, like going to whatever. Um, so yeah, being able to fall well is important. And keeping your muscles loose is crucial. This is why in drunk driving accidents, the drunk driver usually comes out better than the people that they hit because they're like tuned out. Their muscles are all loose. I actually had a brilliant AT moment with falling a few years ago. I have a super cool purple scar on my <laughs> knee from it. Um, I, <laughs> this is so silly, but my spouse had uh, waxed the floor and uh -huh. I didn't know, and I was wearing socks and I was being very silly. I was acting like uh, American style Muppet, not English style Muppet, right. like an actual Jim Henson Muppet. <laughs> and so I was running to the bathroom and I slipped and right over this metal grate, the house is built in 1920. So wow. the, the heating grate is on the floor. I slipped and as soon as I was in the air, it was like anime cartoon where everything slowed down into slow motion. And my AT brain kicked in because I'd been doing AT for years at that point. And I went loose. Uh -huh. um, so I still hurt myself. Like I said, I have a scar. But the way I braced myself, if I had been tense, I would have broken both of my wrists. Yeah, It was a pretty spectacular fall, <laughs> to be honest. Um, but my AT brain kicking in and being like, okay, let go. You were, you're already falling. It's already done. I can't yeah. change that I'm falling. So if I can just take care of what's about to happen next, then I'll be good. So yeah, I tried to make all of my muscles loose and then I fell and I caught myself and kind of ended up in like, um, like an all fours position, mm -hmm. um, which is not ideal. Like if, but I didn't, I was in a door jam, so I didn't have space to do a roll, mm -hmm. but the more you can have your muscles loose, your um, joints bent the way that you would like them to bend. Imagine um, um, uh, an astronaut floating around in space. Mm -hmm. You know how their arms and legs are kind of bent and spread open a little bit? Mm -hmm. That's kind of our ideal relaxation shape. Elbows out, knees forward and away. It's interesting as well because we we're talking, you were saying earlier about the, the whole drunk driver thing and the whole um, bracing for impact. And, and it made me think about whenever there's going to be like an airplane crash or a car crash you'll always hear someone shout brace for impact and brace is oh, basically yeah. contract every muscle in your body and get as rigid as possible which right. is kind of counterproductive from from what you've said yeah yeah it's i mean we're not doing ourselves any favors with the language that we use with these things it's the same thing with take a deep breath um some misconception happened it got in our language and it's enforcing these ideas which are not helpful yeah i'm yeah, not sure how they started but 
I remember you said as well once that the kids know how to fall and that's why they don't tend to do as much damage because they're going to yeah. fall a lot. But whenever you're an adult, you learn like bad habits that make you fall wrong, I guess. <laughs> well, so there's some part and I don't know if it's the same in every country. I've only been educated in the United States, but there's some point in our childhood where the adults around us decide, OK, now it's time to be an adult. Um, and so we stop being silly. We stop using our, we stop exploring, using exploratory movement with our bodies. We don't, um, we don't play tag. We don't play make-believe. We don't mm -hmm. jump on the trampoline. We don't, we're just not silly anymore. The silly is kind of knocked out or beaten out of us um, due to some sort of made up social norms about what it means to be an adult now. Uh, so it's not that we don't have access to the ability to fall well and be resilient and be springy and and healthy. It's just that we're so used to sit up straight, put your hands in your lap. Don't do that. Don't do that. Don't do that. Uh, I teach uh, adults, faculty and staff at UCLA, as well as students. And one of the first things I like to get them to do is just throw both of your arms over your head. For no reason like when was the last time you even did a silly gross movement like put both arms over your head you're an adult you're not supposed to do that you're a grown-up that's not professional blah, 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 blah. you know mm -hmm. all of that stuff is contributes heavily to why we have been developing these habits and why we feel we no longer have access to that springy pliable resilient quality and and it also is what makes us accept our pain which is it's beyond me. I don't know why we just accept. I'm age blank. So my knees feel like blank and that's it. Like my knees are done yeah. forever because I'm yeah. 40 years old or whatever the thing is. It's just, it's, it's malarkey, Stephen. Yeah. As Joe <laughs> Biden would say, absolute malarkey. Um, so, so all of this would be stuff that's uh, maybe trying to prevent injuries. But, but one of the other things I think it's interesting in sport is once people actually get injured, the whole language in sport is around playing through the pain, um, yes. being brave, courageous, loyal. That shows your loyalty, your determination for the team, putting the team before yourself. Um, and that always felt a bit counterproductive. Like I remember reading Manchester United last season again, um, where one of the players, I think it was Rashford, was saying that there was like seven or eight players that were playing through injury at the moment, and he was one of them. And the season before, he was playing with a back injury, like a, a, a damaged back. And he ended up, um, and like, he ended up with like two fractured vertebrae. And then this season, he's ended up having shoulder surgery at the end of the season. And he's, he's basically going to be out for a while. But, but he was playing with that all, all season. And it just seems strange that, that we keep doing this thing of like play through injury. It just seems like it's really short termism, I guess. It is. It is. Yeah. We have to reframe our thinking about playing with injury. I know that traditionally it's been considered, you know, sacrificing yourself for the team and showing loyalty and all that sort of stuff. But what use are you if you can't play? What yeah. use are you to the team if you're, if you're exacerbating all of your injuries and creating new ones by playing with injury? If we reframed it to playing with an injury is selfish, you know, yeah. like flip the script then we might have a, a hope to get people to stop doing that and stop feeling like they need to do that. Um, it's not actually selfish, but it's irresponsible. And 
it is very, it's a short-term solution for a very, very long-term problem. Nobody wants to have a career that's two years long. You know, people want to be able to play for 10 or 15 years at the professional level. Um, but that's not going to happen if you don't take care of your system. So if you do play on injury, you don't share your pain. You know, you don't speak about your pain to mm -hmm. the physios and the staff. Then, I mean, why? What purpose does that serve? Just because you want to get the minutes in today? Or do you want to get loads of minutes over the next few years? Yeah. Yeah, I remember when Daniel Sturridge was really struggling with injuries. Um, and I remember someone... Uh, uh, I'm not going to guess a name because I don't want to attribute to anyone, but another player basically said a lot of it's in your head. Um, and I always think that if you're a player that's constantly getting injured and you're hearing the fans criticize you, like maybe Nabi Kate is getting this at the moment. He's injured a lot and the fans are really on about it all the time. It's pretty much the only thing you see about Nabi Kate. And mm -hmm. if you're basically thinking, do you know what? I'm just going to ignore the injuries and just play just to show what I can do, just to show that like I, I can get fit, I can play, I do have something to contribute. But in effect, you're basically just reducing the chances of you ever not being injured, really? Well, I mean, what you said just reminds me of like Jeannie and Simone Biles both coming out and a, a few other people being like, I can't listen to the Twitter nonsense. I can't listen to the commentary. I know my body, I know my health, I know my family you know, like pain is loud for a reason. And it's telling you, you're doing something wrong with your body. You're doing something inefficient or damaging to your body. So we have to reframe our thinking, not just as like players and staff, but as us, like the fan base, mm -hmm. the supporters, so-called supporters, <laughs> you know, you have to support these people's ability to know their own bodies. I wouldn't come up to you and you, like you would say, my elbow hurts. And I'd be like, no, it doesn't. Because I don't know. I can't feel your elbow from the inside out. I don't have proprioception of anyone else's body. Yeah. Um, I will say Alexander Technique teachers can connect neurological systems through their hands very well, but I can't feel your elbow for you. So if you tell me your elbow hurts, I'm going to believe you 100% of the time. Uh -huh. And we need to make space for that to happen. We need to create an environment. I'm sure the staff is much more responsible about this than, you know, we are as a fan oh, base. We're, we're just a bunch of ding-dongs shouting into the void. But we need to be able to uh, cultivate a compassion and an empathy for players to say, I'm, this doesn't feel right even if it's a little thing, like mm -hmm. better safe than sorry, because if your pain threshold is high or if adrenaline is coursing through your system, you're not going to feel that pain as loud as you would if you're just sitting in a chair reading a book, you know? Yeah. So it, we need to help people with that, help the players. It, it's really interesting as well, because it, it's a kind of a very macho thing. And, and the, the, the time I basically learned how wrong it was, was actually from a book written by a soldier, which is kind of not where you expect to learn how macho is bad. But um, he was basically saying that um, if you're a soldier and you've got an injury, you need to say right away, because what will happen is if you need to march like 20 kilometers in a day, and this guy can't because he's injured, but he didn't tell anyone, so no one was treating it. And then that basically just slows everyone down. And so mm -hmm. he was basically saying that, like, in the army, that they ended up learning that 
as soon as you have any problem at all, just say, like, if you have a, a cut in your finger, just say, because if you're in the jungle, there's lots of stuff that can work its way into it. You end up getting an infection. You end up with, like, a fever. You can't. And, and then you're like, well, that, what do we do with this guy? Does someone need to carry him? Like, and, and that's basically what his, he was saying in the book is that it completely changed his way of thinking. He always thought that when he became a soldier, it was just about, I guess, getting through the pain, pushing through, getting through the other side, the mission comes first, et cetera, et cetera. But he actually said, no, nah, as soon as you get a problem, tell someone because you need to fix it. Yes. And it's much, it takes much less time to recover when it's still a small problem or a new problem versus if you, like your example with the finger, if I put a Band-Aid on it now, it'll be fine in three days. But if I don't treat it at all, I'll get an infection, I'll get a fever, I might end up having um, you know, all number of problems and it's gonna take months or years to recover and it's possible I could die. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's the same with musculoskeletal issues and joint issues, connective tissue issues. It, uh, joints, obviously, and, and ligaments, we all know, take a while to recover from. It's not as easy as a, just a muscle tear. So if you feel a pain, like even just like a little, mm, I can't really tell what this is, but it's uncomfortable or mm-hmm. there's pressure or pain, you need to talk about it immediately so that someone who knows what they're doing can take a look at it and say, what the assess what the situation is. It might mm-hmm. not be a big deal. It might not be a big deal. And then you can go play the game and everything is fine. Yeah. But if it is the beginning of a problem, you want to fix it now because it'll only take a week versus playing on that, creating new injuries, exacerbating the existing injury and being out for months. Yeah. And actually also getting back to something you said right at the beginning about counterbalance. Um, I, I was thinking about, say, for example, Rashford uh, and a shoulder injury. And so if you have a shoulder injury, you probably don't think that affects your shooting technique, but also whenever you follow through, it's with your whole body, like your, your arm follows your foot. And so if he's basically avoiding moving that shoulder, it probably affects his follow through, which probably affects his shooting technique um, and ends up maybe even causing further injuries as his body tries to, um, can't think of the word now, but basically overcompensate for Mm -hmm. the fact that he's trying to protect his shoulder. Right. Yeah, not only is he overcompensating, which is to say he's using an inappropriate part of his body to try to do whatever his his shoulder's responsibility, but he also, all of us have a fear response when we anticipate pain. So that causes an extra constriction of muscles, which just makes the pain worse. So it's just this like horrible cycle um, where we get stuck in our parasympathetic nervous system. And the reason, so first off, your whole body is connected. And, and we can do a demonstration on that in a moment as well. But if you think of just like a stick figure drawing, wonk, and you draw parallel horizontal lines that represent the shoulder girdle and the pelvic girdle, um, you can, and imagine now that you've animated that stick figure to kick a ball, right? Take a penalty shot, let's say. I need to balance because I'm twisting. I'm doing a what we call a spiral through my spine. I need my pelvic girdle and shoulder girdle to work in tandem in order to support each other. So even though I'm kicking the ball with my foot, and yes, people don't realize that their foot is related to their shoulders somehow, 
I have to understand the correlation from all the way from the Atlanta occipital joint throughout the rest of my spine and across the width parts of my shoulder and pelvic girdles. They work together. It's like anything else, like dancing or whatever, hula hoop, or even changing the laundry from the washing machine to the dryer. Those are all the same movement. And so if one component of that movement is injured or painful or damaged, the whole thing gets thrown out of whack. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like, um, if, uh, I, I sent you a picture. I'm not sure if, if maybe, maybe we can share it on Twitter mm-hmm. of a man sitting up straight and you can see his spine from the back. And then he has the next picture is he has his wallet in his back pocket. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. And, um, the wallet is, I don't know, two inches tall. Maybe it's mm-hmm. not, it's not, it doesn't matter how significant it is, but sitting on that wallet offsets his pelvis and because your sacrum fits inside your pelvis as soon as you change the configuration of your pelvis it changes the whole rest of your spine Um, a simpler example might be if you stand on one foot this is a very very common standing habit for people instead of standing on with their yeah you stand on one foot what happens to your spine when you do that have you ever noticed no i probably need to take a picture of myself too yeah take a a, so visual stimulus is really good while you're working on your proprioception so we're all trying to become more sophisticated and feeling what's going on in our systems from the inside out because that's really really helpful Uh when you don't have like a mirror or a camera handy but if i were to stand on one foot uh, so i'm going to stand on my left foot if i stand on my left foot i kick my left hip out I call this the Daphne position, by the way, like from Scooby-Doo, because <laughs> she always stands like that. So True. if I stand on my left foot, I kick my left hip out. And that means the left side of my pelvis is now higher than the right side of my pelvis. Uh-huh. That is going to affect my whole spine all the way up. Wow. If I'm facing you flush, my spine should be in a straight line. If I'm facing you sideways, then it's curvy. But from the front or the back, it should be unless I'm unless I have some developmental structural issues, that it should be fairly strict. If I stand on one foot, it knocks everything off, including my head. Wow. It, yeah. The, yeah, it does. It's funny as well you mentioned the guy with the wallet because uh, a, a long time ago I had a sofa and, and one of the springs was poking me in the sofa, so I need to get the sofa replaced. But while we were waiting on a new sofa, sitting on it was basically putting all of your weight on one side of my my butt cheeks ah, so yeah and yeah that i ended up getting a trap nerve in my uh between my shoulder it was really bad um and I've, i keep getting that trap nerve coming back every now and again and it started with that sitting on a broken sofa properly the, i mean i'm so sorry that that happened to you because it sounds awful but that's such a perfect example of i wasn't even doing anything yeah it's just for me it's a, cert, a perfect example of irishness that's always Stop <laughs> again. It. I just automatically blame everything or that's why. No, 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 no. I will not let you off the hook. You have to take responsibility for your own actions. <laughs> so uh, I, I I could honestly talk about this all day, but but we should um, wrap it up. Maybe maybe cover it a bit more later and go into more more depth on some of these things. But th- to finish off the show, I, I mentioned to you that uh, a friend suggest that I add a, a section on uh, Rim 101, which is kind of like a British TV show where people nominate something that really bugs them to be put into Rim 101, which is essentially condemning it to hell to never see the light of day again. Um, and I asked you what you would like to put in Rim 101. So, so what do you think? 
Well, um, yeah, when you asked me, of course, tons of things came to mind, like racism, homophobia, misogyny, and stuff like that. But sure. those unfortunately aren't unique to football. Um, but I would like to, I would like to put as far as football clubs and supporters and coaches are concerned, the word ladies into room 101. That seems reasonable. And what's your argument for doing so? Um, the word ladies, of course, is super outdated. It's diminutive. It's classist. And uh, our perception when we hear the word ladies versus the word women is incredibly different. And you can, uh, if you don't believe me, do a Google image search on the word ladies and then do a Google image search on the word women and see how different the pictures are. It oh. also, by the way, if I'm just gonna say all of my points, like sure. blah, <laughs> it others women. Um, if you look at any professional football team or club, it's Liverpool and then Liverpool women, uh -huh. which normalizes men and others women. And it's just, it's not okay. We're half the population. <laughs> sure. No, no, I understand. So here, here's the thing for, for me being a, a man, uh, I never really think about these things. I, I do need people to point them out to me. And um, I think a lot of people just don't really admit that. And uh, my wife's very good at pointing things out to me that I, I don't think about. Um, and, and when you mentioned the whole thing about um, ladies uh, football teams, um, my wife's also a professional translator and she always taught me to look up the etymology of a word. So I looked up the etymology of the word lady um, and basically it means uh, the wife um, of a lord mm -hmm. um, who is an expert at kneading bread, which is <laughs> fine, right? So, so I think if, if we're going to have a ladies football team, it needs to be the wives of lords. <laughs> <laughs> who are experts at kneading bread and that's fine then you can call the ladies football team that's perfectly applicable to the word but if they're not that we probably that amazing, need a different kids. word right yeah um, i mean we already have the word it's just women yeah exactly <laughs> um, uh, i know that sometimes people feel like lady uh, you know when they say lady or ladies that it, it feels polite Mm -hmm. um and and i would just suggest that you do like you did a little bit more investigation of the word and not just its origin but its current perception like what is what does the zeitgeist agree on mm -hmm. uh, and not just but people who identify as femme that's another thing is using the term ladies not all people who are assigned female at birth are women mm -hmm. uh you know so you could be misgendering someone as well Mm -hmm. No, exactly. Uh, and the other thing I would say as well is that um, a good way for me to understand words is what the opposite of the word is. So if, if I was to say to you, girl, you would say boy. And if I was to say to you, man, you would say women. If I say lady, it's gentlemen, right? So if we had football and the, the teams were basically Liverpool's gentlemen's <laughs> team and, and Liverpool's ladies team, you'd be like, Jesus, let's change that. That's ridiculous. <laughs> they both just sound utterly ridiculous but because it's only ladies it's like well you're just complaining there's nothing there's no problem here it's just women complaining just let it be and, and i don't understand that because i'm thinking well no because it's on us to listen it's why is it always yeah, you're on, talking, like you're sorry, talking about like a balance of power uh, yeah. you know it should it should it's basic equality it's not it's i'm not even like trying to argue for the rights of anything 
I mean, I will, but that's a whole other show. Um, it's just, if, if, like you said, if it's ladies, then it should be gentlemen. And that's silly. Um, if it's women's, it should be men's. And I mean, uh, that makes sense to me. There's a whole group of people online who are now calling like the NBA, the MNBA, or, you know, like we make sure when we're talking about our, like our national soccer team in the US that we say the men's team and the women's team, mm -hmm. because there's, I, I mean, there's no problem with saying women's, like that's there for clarity. But if you say women's, you should say men's as well. Mm -hmm. No, it makes total sense. And the, the other thing as well, again, as a, a man, um, I, I always think that um, when I was growing up, I always used to think I, I, I was a smart kid. So I always used to think I know everything. And I think everybody goes through that phase, right? And then Except you realize, how to dance. yeah, you realize at some point, actually, I don't know anything. And then you get to the point where you realize, actually, I know almost nothing. And then that was where I was my starting point. And so I became a really good listener. I would listen to people and take on board what they were saying instead of instinctively saying, well, I don't know that, therefore it's wrong because I know everything. And so that I started listening to people. And I actually realized that whenever I had a daughter, the, the word lady like never bothered me before. I never really thought about it, but it just never bothered me. But now I have a daughter, it really bothers me. Like people saying like, that's not very lady. Like I like, no, I hate that word. I just, yeah. I really hate that word. And it just feels like it's basically trying to assign behaviors that my daughter should perform because yes. she's female. And that just really bothers me. I'm like, no, you don't get to decide what my daughter should do or not do. Go away. And it just, it just really <laughs> grits on me. The word, I, I never thought of it before, but it was only once I had a daughter. It was crazy. Yeah, I mean, and that's that's so common. Um, and it's not just to do with this particular subject. It's just if it's something that you haven't experienced, then it's entirely possible you've never really had to think about it before until someone tells you or you do have a personal experience with it. Um, and I would just encourage all of us to take Ted Lasso's advice and be curious, you know, just explore, be curious and listen, especially when you have traditionally been the loudest voice in the room and someone who hasn't been is trying to tell you something be quiet and listen to them take in what they're saying and then try and synthesize the information in a kind way yeah it, I think it's this thing where um, I think people get defensive whenever you're asking them to change things they say or do because it's almost like you're doing this wrong and then it's immediately wait, oh, right. what? hold on I'm not doing anything wrong no I'm not um, and a good example I have of this is um, uh, I used to walk home from work and uh, I remember that someone basically pointed out to me that I effectively chased the woman home because what basically <laughs> happens is I'm really tall, like I'm, I'm like six foot four and I have a big stride and I'm a quick walker. And when I was walking home, I just have my head down. I'm just going from A to B. I don't actually pay attention to pretty much anyone else, right? But because I used to work late, I, I was walking home one night and it must have been like 9, 30, 10 o'clock. Um, this was an Ipswich. It was pitch black. It was winter. There was no cars, no traffic. And I became aware only far too late that I'd effectively ran a woman up a road. <laughs> and it was only when someone else pointed out to me that basically, yeah, you could just like cross the road or slow down. Like, I don't need right. to get home five minutes earlier. I could just walk a bit slower just so that someone isn't like afraid for their life. And so so yeah, that, that's pretty much where I started realizing I need to be a lot more attentive, I guess, the, the, the things I'm doing and change and also just change. 
Yeah, I mean, being willing to change involves a lot of vulnerability. And sometimes that's uncomfortable, but that's how we learn. And not just about like, um, sort of hot button issues, like the one we're talking about right now, but literally anything like if you want to learn the guitar you have to admit I don't know how to play the guitar I don't know how to move my fingers you know like all learning comes from a place of curiosity and vulnerability and but it's just like anything else it's well worth the effort it's worth the risk yeah absolutely and I think that's a perfect place to leave it um Noel thanks very much for joining us um thank you certainly have to talk about this even more in future because I've still got like a million questions but uh, it was absolutely fascinating. I doubt I've ever learned so much in an hour in my life. <laughs> my pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. I thought that went really well. Probably yeah. even better than yesterday. It, it sort of took a bit longer because it was trying to okay. fit in all the things from yesterday. Sorry. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah, but I mean, who cares? And like you yeah. said, there's so much more we didn't even get to. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I was very conscious of the fact that it's been an hour and people don't really, people start to switch off on things after, I think it's right. 15 minutes, I think, is usually the we limit. We used to say in listen. radio that the average listening time was 47 seconds. Wow. Okay. That's a lot. But that's, that was radio because people flip. <laughs> yeah. Makes sense. Now, I remember someone saying that the basically speeches and lectures and things like that, about 50 minutes is when people's attention starts to widely go away. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. But I think um, we were compelling in our speech and everything. Yeah, no, it was great. I, seriously, I, I wasn't joking. It's honestly the most I learned in like an hour. <laughs> it's fascinating. And it's, it's also because it, it applies to literally everybody. That's probably the biggest yes. problem you have with any podcast or any expert on something is the, the, the main thing is how does this apply to me? Why should I care? And ultimately, everybody needs to care about this because it literally applies to all of us. Oh, did I lose you? Hello? Yeah, if you have a body. Yeah, yeah can you hear me? Yeah, yeah. Okay, I wandered, I wandered too far away from the hotspot. Um, <laughs> if you have a body, then AT. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's what sucks is it's been like shoehorned into performing arts. So anybody who's heard of AT, I can tell you is probably an actor or a musician um, because it just gets stuck in performing arts schools. And it's, I try and teach it from a really scientific, pragmatic point of view, even though I did spend my whole life studying classical music and teaching music because um, not only does everybody learn differently, but people need to know what their bodies are shaped like where, where your bones are where the joints are which things are supposed to do which activities so anyway hello hello no i'm still here I was, I was okay thinking, uh, yeah <laughs> no it, it's exactly true as well and it's it, i think a lot of people also spend all day sitting because like especially the people who are going to listen to a podcast uh they tend to listen to it on trains on in cars mm -hmm. um uh, at work, at home, uh, who work from home. So it's like pretty much all of your audience is going to be people who are sitting down. Um, yeah, I think if, if we were going to do another one, um, I, I'd probably want to focus on more specifically what you could do to help a professional football club. Because um, I think that would be very interesting to sort of go to the next level up where we basically scratch the basics and why it applies to everybody. And then it's okay, how do I improve an athlete? that's probably yeah. the next more interesting level to go on. 
yeah 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 I would like to talk about that because I like I like I said yesterday the first club that takes on an AT instructor as part of their physio department is going to just like skyrocket yeah and yeah and all right I, Stephen I'm so sorry to cut you off but um, no, I have to get the porch to work and then Wait I have to all. go to work that's fine and uh if you can try to send me your half of the recording I'll, yeah yeah, yeah. I'll, uh, I'll stitch it together and I'll, I'll let you know inside it'll probably be early next week I'll, okay. I'll post it it's wonderful talking to you. Thanks very much. Yes, and, uh, take have care. A good nice to see you again. Okay, you bye. Too. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Stats podcast. And a special thanks to our Patreon, without whom none of this would be possible. Next to join Stephen on the Stats podcast will be John Harrison to discuss goalkeeping analysis. He is an astronomy PhD graduate at the University of Cambridge and a freelance goalkeeping analyst specializing in statistical analysis. Follow us at CrackStats to be notified as soon as new episodes drop. We hope to see you then!